just having that license doesn't really mean that you are a good, knowledgeable uh, advisor for um, healthcare professionals. Most people that I have come across have never done proper financial planning. Your role is to save my financial life <laughs> in a way. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, How's My Financial Health Doc podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be um, exploring the issue of financial advisors. Um, I keep telling uh, on this podcast that we should take control of our education and we should know more and educate ourselves. But at the end of the day, uh, we may need someone to guide us and give us uh, some help. And so we may potentially need the help of a financial advisor. And so the question is, you know, how do I know I'm dealing with the right person, a right uh, financial advisor, someone who's competent, and someone who can help me? Those are the questions that we're going to try to tackle today on this podcast. I have invited a good friend of mine and a financial planner to help us answer some of these questions. Okay, so good morning, uh, Saad. How are you doing? Uh, thank you for joining the show. <laughs> good morning. Thank you, Vu. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm very good. So I'm here with uh, Saad Nadine uh, from uh, Rich Fulfilling Life. And uh, he's here with me today because uh, he, he and I have been uh, really talking about, you know, financial uh, literacy and um, how uh, he can help uh, physicians and healthcare professionals. And uh, Saad, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe uh, what you do and who you are? Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Saad Nadim, like Vu has mentioned uh, from Rich Fulfilling Life. Uh, really what uh, my practice, what we focus on is helping medical professionals organize their financial life so well that they live a rich, fulfilling life. And that is really our end goal in terms of our practice. And um, from various uh, social media uh, connections, Abu and I have been able to connect and we've been having a, a lot of, uh, I feel like interesting conversations in terms of uh, the value um, that he can provide through his colleagues. And I thought this was a great uh, way to do that. So good job, Vu, for actually taking the initiative and, and doing all of this. So, uh, Well, thank, thank you. you. I mean, it's, it's not without the help of individuals like yourself that makes this uh, uh, interesting because, as you know, I'm a physician. I'm not a financial advisor. And so I definitely rely on, on you for the, uh, for the expertise and also the insight. Uh, today, we're talking about, you know, if I'm sitting in front of a, an, an advisor, a planner, or my colleagues uh, have just engaged a planner, um, you know, how do we know that um, 
the planner that we have in front of us or the advisor is giving us good advice. But more importantly, you know, how do we know that this is the right person for me uh, as the consumer and customer? So we, you and I have decided to do a, uh, an episode on how do you know you have a good advisor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the question we're going to try to answer today. Right. So how about um, I ask you some questions and you give me your insight of what you think uh, would, would be from your perspective. Sure, of course. I would love yeah. that. Perfect, perfect. So um, I'm, I'm in, sitting in front of an individual who says he's a advisor and helping me with my finances. Um, what should an advisor have as an educated background? What should I be looking for? Uh, great question. Um, so um, pretty much to get into the industry, everyone pretty much either gets their IFIC license or CSC license. Uh, if you're at the bank, you probably have your CSC. If you're at somewhere else, you'll probably have your IFIC. Uh, but just having that license doesn't really mean that you are a good, knowledgeable uh, advisor for um, healthcare professionals. Um, at the minimum, what this person should probably have is at least a CFP, which stands for Certified Financial Planner. It is a slowly becoming a global designation. It's mainly in the U.S. and Canada, and I feel somewhere in Europe for now, but um, it's slowly becoming a global designation for individuals who want to take this uh, industry or this career very seriously to help their clients. Um, and CFP, I feel, would probably be the minimum uh, this, uh, this advisor should have. Um, now, in our conversation, um, the CFP designation, uh, the teaching, the philosophy behind this designation comes with a few characteristics. I think you mentioned you know, fiduciary duty, you mentioned trust, uh, can you give me some idea of, you know, what, what you think someone who has a CFP designation brings to the table? What are the different intangibles that I should be looking for? Well, CFP, uh, right off the bat, like you mentioned, it has the fiduciary duty to your clients. Um, so that is a huge one uh, when you're dealing with someone. You want to make sure that the person is actually giving you the right type of advice um, that's actually going to be best for you and not necessarily best for the advisor. Um, so you want to make sure that there's no conflict of interest from that standpoint. Uh, but the other thing I, I feel that CFP does really well, it, it gives you a, uh, a very good background uh, of all the six disciplines of financial uh, literacy. So it'll include a very, very heavy knowledge into retirement planning, tax planning, um, uh, cash flow, estate planning, investments. Uh, so it, it, it pretty much covers a lot of your, um, I, I feel like the foundation of what this advisor should have, right? Uh, so, but just keep that with an asterisk because just because and a person has the CFP, uh, you know, it's not enough um, that they only have the CFP. They got to have much more. They ha- have to have experience. They have to have um, experience with your specific situation. But just having that CFP at least provides that foundation, I, I, I would I would actually uh, cater, I guess, that if you have your CFP, you're probably more knowledgeable in terms of financial, um, personal finance 
than probably 80, 90% of the rest of Canadians. Right. So I, I get what you're saying. The CFP is like the thing you need to get, at least as a minimum, to have an, a good understanding of the mm -hmm. industry and the service. You mentioned, you know, people need to have a little bit more that, let me call it, a, you know, I'll steal it from the show, the X factor, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what other, what other factors or what other um, characteristics should I be looking for to say, yeah, you know what, this, this is a person that I would want to work with? Um, well, when it comes to characteristics, it's more, um, I, I feel, qualitative, maybe more than quantitative. Um, I, I don't know how to um, put a, um, a pinpoint, it, but I, I feel almost like a gut check, right? Uh, when, you, when you're in front of somebody, when you're speaking to somebody, you either like them or you don't like them or you trust them or you don't trust them, right? And that's huge uh, because most people that I have come across have never done proper financial planning. And if you've never done financial planning, you don't know how much detail and how intimate financial planning really is. Um, it, it reminds me... Uh, of uh, something Henry Ford said uh, when he was about to make his first cars, right? Um, it's a very famous quote. Um, right when he was making cars, uh, he put it out into, into the market and Henry Ford said, uh, you know what, Here, here's the new way to travel for humans. And people were like, we don't want this, right? Like, why would you give us this? Why would you make this machine called the car? He's like, the reason I didn't ask people for their opinion when I was making the car is because if I asked people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse, right? Um, people don't realize how much they need financial planning, right? And to do financial planning properly, the amount of hours it takes on our part, if you do it properly, to make a difference in this person's life, it's a very intimate process. Think about it. If the advisor doesn't like you, or you don't like the advisor, chances are they're not gonna, you're putting that many hours to help you, right? This is not a product. This is not a uh, buy this investment and you know hopefully it does well, <laughs> or buy this insurance or buy this disability or whatever. This is a very intimate relationship with you and your client um, or the client and the advisor. And that characteristic of you actually liking to talk to each other, you actually look forward to speaking to each other, uh, um, those things cannot be, um, um, they have to have their own weight. So it's, it's a relationship, right? So the chemistry needs to be there. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, now you mentioned also a specialized knowledge because we're dealing, I mean, in my case, we're dealing with healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. but it could be, it could be a physician. It could be a dentist. It could be a nurse. Um, and from, from your perspective, a good advisor should, should know the, the industry of that individual and the different, um, I would say, uh, uh, specifics in their, in their taxes or in their um, goals and objectives. So you, you deal a lot with uh, physicians um, and that's your specialization, but a good advisor should, should know the industry in which they're uh, customers are in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what the really, I guess, a level two of 
um, after someone has a CFP, right? So again, CFP will pretty much give you the base knowledge or, or a solid, solid foundation of what it takes to be a good financial planner in Canada, right? But that's not enough because there are, uh, what, 32 million of us Canadians in, in this country and almost every single one of them has their own unique needs, their own unique goals, uh, their own perspective, really, of what a rich, fulfilling life means to them, right? So you can't really uh, put this um, service in a box and basically replicate the exact same thing over and over again. There are some things, obviously, you can uh, replicate, but for the most part, it has to be a very unique approach when you uh, attract or when you want to do financial life planning, as I like to call it, not just financial planning, financial life planning for uh, professionals. So that's really where it comes to in terms of if you want to work with physicians or you want, to, it can even be say engineers, it could even be IT professionals, it could be executives, right? We just named what, six, seven different uh, professions. Every single one of these professions comes with their own perks, comes with their own tax planning, comes with their own retirement planning. The strategies that's available to an engineer are completely, completely different than the strategies that are available there for a physician even a dentist, right? Even two physicians in the exact same medical group will have two different situations, right? And I've seen this over and over and over again because everyone's version of a rich, fulfilling life is different. And until you don't get to know what that person's rich, fulfilling life is, how could you possibly help them? Um, so that's where the specialty comes in. Uh, it's not enough to have your CFP you should also have experience with that certain profession in terms of how you're gonna help guide them from where they are today to in terms of where they wanna to get to uh, in the future. Okay, well, thank you for explaining that. That really helps me at least put into perspective uh, what I am gonna be looking for in an advisor uh, who's understanding my, my industry. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in terms of just you know, the basics of, of financial planning and uh, engagement with a planner. You know, I've read a few books, uh, one of which is called um, Stand Up to the Financial Service Industry by Dr. John, not Dr., sorry, sorry by John DeGoy. And in his book, he's mentioned a few things that I, I just want to point out here. So good elements of advice uh, tend to include, like you mentioned, uh, the six uh, items. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll just enumerate what he says. And I think it pretty says exactly the same thing of what you said. Integrated tax planning, uh, reasonable and comprehensive financial planning, estate planning, uh, focus on managing both cost and risk, uh, focus on managing client behavior and expectations, and setting adhering to a suitable asset allocation. I think this uh, says a little bit more of what you mentioned, but, you know, in our conversations together, you've always mentioned, you know, risk, risk uh, and cost and, and how, to, how to balance that between the different things that you are going to propose to your client. Mm -hmm. What do you think about what this book is saying? Well, I mean, like, uh, like many uh, personal finance books out there, they're all pretty much preaching that we need better advisors, <laughs> right, uh, in the industry. That's really what it comes down to, right? I feel that um, most advisors, especially the older uh, advisors, 
uh, I don't know if you know this, but the average age of an advisor in Canada is about 52 years old, and they're uh, all pretty much the same demographic, right? Uh, they're males, they're, uh, they're most likely Caucasian, uh, they're probably around 52, 55 years old, and that's the average, right? But what people are not real, or at least what advisors is not realizing, is that what worked for Canadians 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is not going to work for Canadians today, right? Which is why um, I feel that the clients that we work with in, uh, in our practice, um, they're mostly around 30 or 40 years old, and they're looking for that type of service, right? They want the retirement planning. They want the tax planning. They want to take initiative, and they want to almost take control of their life. And if you are not going to provide that level of service, then someone else definitely will, right? And all these books are really pushing uh, for uh, to to uh, to just really just have better advisors, which I totally agree with. Um, the The level of fulfillment that you can get from this career is enormous. Is absolutely enormous. I would say, for me at least, it's as equivalent to a physician saving someone's life because that's literally what I do on a, on a day-to-day basis. I, I'm saving people from their, uh, all the financial mistakes and the financial, um, um, I guess, even small mistakes that can lead to eventual big holes uh, later in life, right? And you have to approach this career that way. You can't approach this career from a self-fulfilling, money-making, like, uh, like what the movies basically sell it as, right? Um, so all those movies don't, don't, don't follow uh, what, they're, what they do because the, at the end of the day, this, um, you can get a lot of fulfillment if you do, the, if you do it right. Right. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, you made, you made two points. I think one of them is, you know, your role is to save my financial life <laughs> in a way. Um, I, I save people's lives sometimes, um, but you know what? When I when I make the when I make the decisions that I make as a physician on a financial topic, I don't have that knowledge that you have, and so I'm relying on you, the advisor, to give me that. And hopefully, the little mistakes that I make now don't turn into huge holes, as you say, 20, 30 years from now. And, uh, and the issue is, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm hoping that you're there to let me know what I should know uh, yeah. and how I should go about it. And, you know, that's why I created the, the series called Mea Culpa is because, you know, we all make financial mistakes. We just don't know that we do. Uh, and yeah. hopefully working with an advisor like yourself can point us in the right direction and, and, uh, and avoid the traps. Um, the other men- the other thing you mentioned was, you know, um, what should we not focus on? And so from what I understand, you know, if I'm working with a, a, an advisor, uh, at the end of the day, in our conversation, uh, we should not be focused on products. Uh, mm-hmm. We should not be focused on just investment. We, we need to have a broader holistic view of estate planning, tax planning, um, risk mitigation, cost, um, and cash flow. You mentioned this is a very, another very important word. Um, and to not focus on just investment and performance because that's really not, not what planning is about. That's, that's what I understand from what you mentioned there, uh, Saad. Yeah. I mean, that, that is huge. That is absolutely huge. There, uh, a, a quick story comes to mind. Um, there's a, there was a blog post, I think back in 2012 
by Jason Zweig. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, but he's a pretty renowned um, author when it comes to personal finance. He actually wrote a forward in the, uh, uh, the Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. There's a, there's a very good story in there. So he, he's, apparently there's a place in, in the U.S. somewhere where retirees go uh, called Boca. I, I've, never, I've never Googled it, but I'm sure it sounds like a pretty exotic place. So, uh, so uh, he interviewed uh, some people in Boca and he went there and he asked them, hey, what was your rate of return um, throughout your lifetime? Right. Some people said four, some people said seven, some people said 12, some people said, I have no idea. When one person uh, basically stood up, he's like, why the heck does it matter what rate of return we got? We're in friggin' Boca, right? <laughs> that right there was the nail on the head, right? It's not the rate of return. It's not the product. It's it, none of these things matter, right? These things matter because uh, when you when you read what's going on with Tesla, right? Or should should you buy Tesla? These are just ways of generating eyeballs for the newspaper articles, right? They want to sell advertisements. Well, they're going to give you what you want to read, what they what you're going to click on, right? The advisor is going to try the at least the bad advisors or the average advisors will try to sell you a product because that's what they feel like. You know, you need a product. Here's a product. I'll sell you a product, right? But when you really come down to it. None of this matters. It really doesn't. What matters is that you hit every single one of your goals, right? All of them, right? Your, your kids' education goals, your charitable goals. A lot of my clients, almost all of them are charitable-minded. It probably has something to do with the rich, fulfilling life, right? Um, because philanthropy just ends up being a part of that. So these goals, tax and uh, uh, retirement. Can I, can I, can I take a U-turn one day on my way to the clinic, right? And just decide that this is it. I don't need to do this anymore. Can I be okay doing that, right? So many physicians actually work till their 70s and 75s, right? All that matters is your life, your goals, and if you can achieve all of them. And if you can achieve all of them, right? And if you can do that at say 2%, then maybe that's exactly what you need, right? Why would you want to put your future in terms of what a Trump tweet is going to do in the markets today, right? It makes no sense. The markets will literally go up like three, four percent just based on something he said. Do you really need that type of volatility or risk in your life? If, if proven properly that we can actually get to your goals at maybe two percent, right? Then none of those other conversations actually matter. Two um, percent is not probably enough to be honest, <laughs> but I'm just saying it as a very extreme example because uh, what really matters is your goals and and what will bring you fulfillment no thank you i uh, i absolutely agree with you i mean this is something that we don't do enough um we don't understand you see we don't understand personal literacy uh, financial literacy and so the only thing we understand is what the news and cnn and bnn and fox news is feeding us you know uh, Tesla went up 5% today and Apple went up 2% and the oil dropped by, you know, X percentage. And so we are sort of being taught by the news media that this is what the focus is and this is what good financial planning is. And you made a great point that that is not the goal. That is not the objective. The objective is setting personal, reasonable goals and objective and getting there with the different um 
avenues, the different routes that we can get there. And you mentioned uh, many of them, tax, cash flow, retirement, estate, risk mitigation, et cetera. So those are what we need to work on, not really how to, how to achieve five or 6% every year after year, right? You've, you've mentioned that many times and very well. And, and thank you for saying that. When you, when you sit down um, with your clients, you know, um, there must have some very uh, hard conversations to have, right? Because you're dealing with people who may not understand or who understands a little bit and have done a few things here or there that may not be necessarily in line with their objectives and goals. So when you, when you sit down with, with those individuals and you have those hard conversations, um, I'm gonna equate this to a little bit like a, a Buckley's uh, um, medication, right? Yeah. Uh, it may not taste good, but it's good for you. So those type mm-hmm. of tough conversations you have with your clients. I, I feel as, as tough as those conversations are, it makes the relationship so much better, right? Um, many instances come in my mind in terms of when I've had to do that. But really, I, I think what it comes down to is if I have spent, and we always do, in enough time getting to know you, then it's my fiduciary duty to tell you that this is what you've told me you'd like to do. This is what you've told me what you'd like to do in the past. The two things that you're telling me are almost conflicting with each other. And I'd like to give you the pros and cons of each decision. And then ultimately you can make your decision. But at least let me tell you the pros and cons of what you're trying to do. Right. And that I feel is the missing component, right? I feel like if you're not experienced enough, you're just going to do what the client says. Number two, if you are experienced enough and if you're still um, more towards taking care of yourself uh, rather than the client, then you'll do whatever leads you to um, maybe um, you know, in a conflict of interest decisions where you, you don't want to do that for the client, right? You have to make sure that the client knows in simplified terms what they're trying to do and what the pros and cons of that decision are. And that's very important. But you can only do that if you've actually gotten to know them, right? Imagine I just met you today and you tell me that your um, car is making some noise. If I don't look in the hood or if I don't look in the back, or because you tell me, oh, the noise is coming from somewhere. If I don't do the proper analysis, and I literally just say, oh yeah, you need, uh, you need some new brakes and you need some new pads and you know, it's gonna cost you about uh, 1500 bucks to get it all done. If you don't know enough, you'll probably say, okay, great. It'll fix it, it'll fix it, right? And that's, I feel like that's what happens with a lot of people. Um, but what, what people really want to know is, Saad, you know, people are, humans are emotional, right? They wanna, they, they, they want, we want to obviously do this, do this, do this, do this. We want to, we want to do, we want to accomplish everything, but there's uh, something called an opportunity cost. But the advisor has to, again, if he knows you well enough or she knows you well enough, they will give you the pros and cons. So you make an educated decision rather than um, an emotional one. Absolutely. I mean, um, 
I think in in your industry, you talk about educated decision. In our industry, we talk about informed consent, which is exactly the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mr. So and So, I I think you need you know X Y Z surgery, and you need it for this reason. And if you didn't do it, it would be this outcome. And if you did do it, it could potentially be this outcome. And here are the different complications, or here are the different things that we can expect along the way, right? And then at the end of the day, you sign on the dotted line to say, yes, I agree to the surgery or no, I don't agree to the surgery. And so Mm -hmm. it's really informed consent, but it also works the other way. As you mentioned, someone can, I get this all the time, you know, patients who come in with a lipoma on their skin, which is like a little, you know, piece of granuloma, granulated trap fat underneath the skin, and it creates a little lump. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people come to me and they're fearful thinking it's cancer and they want it removed at all costs. And I say, no, it's a little lipoma. It's benign. It's not cancerous. It will not become cancerous, but they want to have it done. Mm -hmm. And so I have those very difficult conversations with them about, you know, the pros and cons of the, of the uh, surgery to get it removed. And after that, you know, discussion, about the pros and cons and complications, then they realize, oh, probably shouldn't be done. Um, and so this is the same thing, informed consent or educated um, uh, agreement. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the best with what we know. That's all we're trying to do. At the end of the day, you get rid of the social media, you get rid of all the glamour, you get rid of all of this, you know, this, this noise, and we're just trying to do with what's best for us and our families. That's it. Right, right. And I, I would 100% agree with you. Uh, but, you know, uh, human beings are human beings that comes with a whole package of behaviors and emotions. Uh, and some of us, you know, just want what we want and don't care what everybody else says, even though it's mm-hmm. they telling you the right thing to do. Um, and you have a fiduciary duty. I have a fiduciary duty. And some of your clients and some of my patients just don't want to listen to that, right? They just want to do what they want to do. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, they sometimes end up in a really bad place. But you and I still have to do what we need to do to do the right thing. So a, a few more things. So I'm sitting in front of an advisor and I'm, I'm developing this relationship. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is heading in the right direction. We seem to connect. Uh, there's chemistry here. Um, you mentioned conflict of interest earlier, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that there's a fiduciary duty. Now, I've read a few places in a few books. There are some questions we can ask um, the financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, these are questions that are helping us to tease out one the specialty, the understanding, the experience, but also tease out some of those conflict of interest out and bring it to the forefront for discussion. Uh, I would like to maybe um, ask you some of these questions and what you think about it. Not, yeah. not, not your answer to them, but what you think mm-hmm. about these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the questions to help us tease out some of these is, uh, tell me about your ideal client. So if I, I was sitting in front of you, Saad, and I say, hey, I want to work with you, but I, I would like you to understand more a little bit about you, the advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your ideal client. Is that is that a question that helps or doesn't help? What what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it might actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, right? Because if you were to ask me that, who's your ideal client? 
I can tell you really straight. You're pretty much between the ages of 35 and 55. You are a healthcare professional and you're looking to live a rich, fulfilling life, right? All of those things have to meet, right? Um, I guess I guess you could answer, but at the end of the day, like I just feel like there, it, it's not going to be enough. I feel like to actually uh, get you to a thing where you're trying to get to with that question, um, right? In in the context that you're asking me that question, um, so that might not uh, work. Um, okay. that's just my personal opinion. Okay, I have a few more questions here. Um, okay. Explain how you manage risk, client expectation, and tax liability and costs. Would those questions be helpful to try to discern whether I'm working with the right person or not? Yeah, so that's probably a bit more. So when you're coming to these types of questions, um, I feel now that you've liked the person, you're trust, you've trusted the person, you're building that relationship with this person, now you wanna make sure that this person is actually knowledgeable enough to actually help you, right? Um, so asking those types of questions would definitely help. Um, because at the end of the day, you're looking for someone to have the same type of uh, philosophy on life, tax, retirement as, as you, right? It's not going to be 100% the same, but that person generally needs to think the same for this to work for both of you, right? So asking those types of questions, how do you mitigate risk? How, do you, uh, how would you tackle my tax situation? Those types of questions will definitely help. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about um, fiduciary duty and what's right for the client. And, you know, what's right for the client may not necessarily be what's the best for the advisor. And some mm -hmm. of that has to do with compensation and cost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if the customer is bringing up the question of, you know, what are the fees? What are the compensation model look like? Uh, what am I expected to pay over the entire time of our relationship? Do you think those are good questions, bad questions, offensive questions even maybe? Um, and so what, what are your thoughts on, on that? No, that's a great question, right? Um, it, see, th this is the only industry or at least some of the, one of the few industries where you can pretty much go having a relationship with your advisor for the next 20, 30 years and you as a client will probably not know what you've paid the advisor throughout, right? Um, and I feel like people are just getting smarter now. People are getting more educated. You obviously have Google at your disposal to ask these types of questions. Um, so no, I, I feel that's a great question. You should ask that. And, and I feel like the advisor, like in my situation, I, I actually bring it up if the, if, the, if the client doesn't. Why? Why is that so crucial? Imagine buying something on Amazon without the price. You're not going to do that, right? Because you can have something, um, I don't know, let's say a piece of, uh, a sack of paper, right? You can buy on Amazon probably $9.99 or something, right? This stack of piece of paper for $9.99 probably has tremendous value to you and your family. Uh, kids are going to school, they can use pieces of paper to write on, to educate themselves. Uh, you can use it for your office work, whatever. What if Amazon listed the price at $99.99? Does this still have the same value to you? Well, now you got to think about it, right? 
well, I'm getting 100. Now you're going to do that math in your head, right? Well, I'm getting 100 sacks of sheets of paper here. I'm paying $99.99. Amazon is basically listing this as $1 per paper. Imagine receiving that, right? When you will receive that paper, you will make sure nobody even comes close to this sack of paper, right? <laughs> because you're going to be so careful in terms of using this, right? And we can go the other way. Amazon listed it for, say, $0.09. Cents. Nine cents for a stack of paper. Now you're pretty much going to be throwing it away, right? Like, oh, you need paper? Don't worry. Here, here's five sheets, right? I have tons of them, right? I, I bought like 10 sheets of them. So it's very important that the fee is determined because the fee will determine if you're overpaying, underpaying, or is just right, right? And what the advisor should do, in my opinion, and, and, and the, the best of them do this, I, I, I feel, the value that you should be getting out of this relationship should far supersede the price that you're paying for this relationship. And it's the advisor's job to make sure that you as the end client receive that value. Value is not picking investments for you that game is done, right? That's pretty much, um, well, simple can do that with a few clicks and replace you if that is what you're doing as an advisor, right? So you have to make sure that the, the, uh, the uh, I'm, talk, I'm talking from an advisor point of view now, that there's enough value in there for the client. They get proper comprehensive financial planning. They get proper tax planning. They have an annual review. They get a written plan. They get a, like, how many times have you um, wanted to accomplish something and actually accomplished it on the first try? Almost never. Never. Yeah. It's the answer is zero. And if you tell me even once, you are pretty much lying or the goal wasn't big enough, mm. right? But it's pretty much, you're never going to be able to do that, right? And that's a huge thing where an advisor can actually bring accountability in that relationship. So I want to be able to send my kids to school, for example, you know, but then life happens, right? COVID happened. Maybe you weren't working for a while. Maybe the revenue dropped. Uh, maybe uh, a roof leaked and you have to spend an extra 15 grand, 20 grand to replace the roof. You know, life happens. You're going to fall off track, right? And one of the biggest things an advisor can do is actually bring you back. It's almost like uh, that story. I don't know if you heard about it, but um, Neil Armstrong, right? When he was going to the moon, uh, most people don't know this, that over 99% of the time, if the, if the moon is here and the spaceship was here, 99% of the time, he wasn't actually going towards the moon. He was actually going here, 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 right? But every time he was off track, their NASA engineers in the back end, pretty much he was going here, they brought him back on track. So that's really what financial life planning is. That's where the value actually comes to you. So since we, I mean, you mentioned the philosophy behind that question. So would it be improper or would it be even offensive or in, inappropriate to ask about compensation model? Because there are different types of compensation model out there. Uh, mm -hmm. we talked about, um, fee-based, uh, we talked about commission-based and we talked about transaction-based, mm -hmm. uh, can you maybe just help us understand a little bit the difference uh, between the three? Uh, transaction is pretty much, um, 
the advisors paid on buying and selling of securities, right? Um, you, he, he manages a, an investment portfolio for you. And every time the an investment is sold or bought, uh, the advisor makes a transaction fee and that's how they're compensated. And there's no planning involved in this, is there? Now the banks realize, oh, nobody just wants us to manage their money anymore. We actually have to do some work. Uh, so, you know, now it's this whole rage of financial planning, but mostly uh, I, that's why I don't want to speculate. It might be there, but as far as I know, it's not there. It's you're pretty much an investment advisor and you're being paid to buy and sell uh, securities in hopes of beating uh, your indexes. That's the transaction model. Uh, there's a commission model. Commission model is pretty much you uh, sell some sort of fund and, and, and the advisor gets paid a commission, right? Uh, there's like obviously no load and DFCs. Uh, I don't want to get too technical, but it's pretty much an, a product is sold and the person receives a commission. Um, very similar to you bu- bu- go buy a cell phone at Rogers and that salesperson who sold you that cell phone makes a commission, right? Same idea. Okay. Now, in this particular model, uh, you don't, uh, you, uh, me, as the consumer or the client, we don't necessarily know what we're paying, right? Because it's not upfront. Like I can't, I can't tell him or I can't ask him. Uh, wait a minute. When you sell me the product A, how much are you making on 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 this? This is not something that you would know at the forefront. Like it's not, it's not a ticket that you would see on the price tag uh, on Amazon when you buy this widget. It costs nine ninety nine. Uh, when I'm buying this particular product from you, you get a commission. I don't know what that price is. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where the MER comes in, right? So that's why uh, MER is a huge part of the industry talk. Well, not industry, just literally everyone just knows about these three letters, MER, management expense ratio, right? Uh, so that's where the commission would come from. So it, these MERs can be, I don't know, anywhere from 1% to even like 3% or something like that in some cases. Right. But it goes beyond the MER, right? There's the DSC that you mentioned. There's also transactional costs behind. There's also management costs and maintenance costs at the at the back end. So MER is just what we see. We actually don't see many other fees behind. So in a commission-based model, we actually don't see every single cost. Yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right, right? Because then there's also the TER, right? The trade expense ratio. Um, and then there's also like additional commissions that might be sold uh, to given to the advisor from the company that he's working with uh, for selling some sort of fund. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, you're not, probably not gonna know the full uh, commission that uh, the advisor is, is going to get in, in that model. So in the third one, you were about to address it, uh, which is the um, fee-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I guess, is the most uh, similar to the Amazon example. Yeah, so fee-based is, um, I feel, is, is the most transparent way to provide these services, right? Um, it's pretty much, here's the fee for what I'm going to be paid for, right? And that could be... Um, whatever, that could be 1%, 1.5%, 0.5%. And it really would probably depend on how much assets you have, right? And that's pretty much if, if you have, a, um, if you have uh, probably over a million dollars, uh, the advisor probably will give you a discount on the advisory fees. If you have less than a million, probably pay a bit more in the advisory fees. But 
regardless of what it is, the advisory fee or in the fee-based model is actually at least up front, right? You know exactly what you're going to pay, right? And now you feel, you, you would know, hey, if I'm paying this much, am I getting enough value for that, right? And that's the, probably the only one model where you can actually replicate that Amazon model. And again, you, you're talking about value, right? So it's important mm -hmm. to determine for this 0.5%, 1%, 0.75, whatever it is for this type of fee that I'm paying, what am I getting back in return and what's the value? So the important question is, is there a value for me as a uh, consumer? Now, even in the fee base, I understand there's as uh, asset under management type of model, but there's mm -hmm. also a fixed uh, fee model, is there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's the AUM model and there's, there's, a, uh, there's a strictly, uh, there's like, then there's like a strictly fee based uh, in terms of where it might be. I will do your, I will give you a financial plan and I know enough advisors do this. Um, I will give you a financial plan for $4,000, $5,000, something like that, mm. right? So you're going to pretty much pay all of this upfront and you're going to get a financial plan, right? So you can go that route as well. If you're successful in life, like, so we're talking about positions, right? I'm not talking about from a monetary perspective. I'm talking about from a career perspective. I'm talking about a, you're working at eight to 10 hours minimum and then going to your family and you're tired and then probably working weekends and maybe telemedicine now, all of these things. There's no value in the actual plan. There's only value in the execution of the plan. So if you, I feel, and again, this is just a personal opinion, you can pay that $4,000, $5,000 upfront to get the plan, but it won't mean anything if you yourself now don't take the time out. It's basically a DIY now, right? You're going to take the time out and actually make sure all of these uh, strategies that this uh, fee-based advisor has provided to you, you actually execute on them. No, that, that's a great point because uh, what's the use of having a, a book on, sitting on your table? You actually have to take the actions and the next steps mm -hmm. and follow that recommendation. Yeah. Uh, similar to my patients, when I say you need to take, you know, medication A to bring down your A1C and they take it home and let the prescription sit there for a few months, right? Yeah, And they don't get the medication. So absolutely, exact same idea. So, you know, we've had a very long conversation. Uh, thank you for everything you've said and uh, your great insight. Uh, just maybe one parting thought. If if you know a hundred uh, physicians are sitting in front of you right now, and you had to give them one final thought, one burning thought to for them to keep in their mind on how do I know I have a good advisor? What would that one thing would you say to them? How much time did the advisor spend with you before you bought anything? Okay, why is that an important question? If you're truly trying to help someone, and I'm saying from an advisor's perspective, the goal should not be to sell you a product. The goal should be to help you achieve your goals. And I don't feel that you speaking to somebody for half an hour or 45 minutes is going to give you everything you need to know about this person to help them. And if that's the one burning thing that like I can, I can ask uh, people to be aware of is 
if we're going to work, this is a long-term relationship. I don't bring on people who I don't enjoy working with, right? I literally look at them that would I want to work with this person 30 years from now, 20 years from now, right? That's the time horizon I'm looking at because I don't want to do all this planning. It takes hundreds of hours to do this, <laughs> right? For one person, uh, especially if their per situation is complicated. So as you, as the end physician burning thing, how much time did he spend with me? How much, notice the questions. One of the greatest um, uh, compliment I get in my meetings is that's a great question because now I know that you're thinking about things that you probably have not thought before, right? And that's the time you wanna spend with an advisor. If it takes two meetings, sure. If it takes three meetings, sure, whatever it is, right? But the person should really try to get to know you. And, and that's when you know you found someone and stick with them. Uh, that is absolutely great advice. Uh, thank you very much. I see a lot of uh, analogy with medicine. I love I love what you just said there. It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's very good. And thank you very much for your insight. Because uh, having someone like yourself who practices in the industry and telling us back what we should be looking for, I think that's priceless. So Saad, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me, Boo. This was a very interesting conversation. I'm I'm glad that we did this. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm have I'm I'm glad that you came on, and uh, hopefully you'll come back again with us uh, in future episodes. Of course, love to. Okay. Have a good one. Cheers, man. Take care. Bye. Take care. If you liked this episode and would like to hear more from Saad, you can check him out on his Instagram page at Rich Fulfilling Life, and subscribe to him on his YouTube channel, Rich Fulfilling Life. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.